Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. I know y'all just sat down, but when I was growing up, we always stood for the reading of God's Word. So if y'all will stand with me as we read. This is Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's powerful, effective, it's relevant, it's helpful. God, it's a guide for us. And so we ask that this morning you would speak to us. Uh, God, build us up in strength and love and in faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. Uh, well, Welcome. If you're new to our community, my name is Bronson. Uh, I'm one of the leaders and one of the pastors here, and we're excited that you're here. Uh, our goal as a community is that we would be a place where you could know Jesus, you could walk with Jesus, and live the way that he lived. And we do that through spiritual practices, and you may not know it, but what you're doing right now is a spiritual practice of coming together for worship, uh, to worship God, to hear the Word of God. And so uh, we've got a lot to celebrate this weekend, right? Where my fellas at? Oh, there you are. Yeah, there's my, there's my men. Um, you know, we're also, tomorrow's Juneteenth is something that we always recognize as a church. Uh, in uh, June 19th, 1865, the Emancipation Proclamation that was given on January 1st, 1963, finally made its way to Galveston, Texas. And this is a beautiful thing for our community because, because of that, uh, the last remnants of uh, slaves that had not been freed found freedom. And we can sit at the table of fellowship together as brothers and sisters uh, because of that in our country. And so we, we celebrate that. Uh, it's also Father's Day. Um, and I know that that is a complicated day. For some of you guys, it's like you've been having a killer weekend. For some of you guys, you're like, I hate my father. You know, <laughs> like just if you're honest, you know, that's how you feel. That's where you're at. And, and here's, if you're there, if you have hurt and, and bitterness in the area of fatherhood with, with your dad, here's what I want to encourage you with. Where there's soil of pain and hurt, so honor and you'll reap blessing. Where there's a soil, where there's hard soil of hurt and pain, so honor, and God promises that he'll bring blessing because the reality is whether we like it or not, we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. Amen? And so what I want to encourage you to do is look for the good things that your dad did in your life. He may not have done much, but I'm telling you, he gave you something. He may have affirmed you. He may have called things out in your life. I'm telling you, if you will honor him, that pain will be transformed in your life. 
Because here's the reality. Pain that you do not transform, you transfer. Those things that just stick in your life, you end up, you ever, you ever do things, maybe dads, people, you're going through life and you're doing something your parents did and you're like, I can't believe that I'm doing this. You've got to transform those areas of your life. Allow God to work. Amen? Amen. Um, well, this week, uh, we're, we're going to be looking at Luke 18. We've been, we've been journeying together through the book of Colossians since right after Easter. And this week, I'm going to step out of the book of Colossians. And I actually, last weekend, I uh, traveled up to Pittsburgh. I spoke for a buddy, and I preached this message. And I was like, man, I, I want to bring this home. Uh, I wrote it for his church, but when I was preaching it, I was thinking about you guys. And uh, this is something that's been big in my heart over this last three years, and, and I want to bring this to you. So uh, if you want to thumb over, I know we already read it, but we're in Luke 18. Uh, we're in the New Living Translation. And the parable we're looking at this morning, we're looking at a parable. These are stories that Jesus told us so that we could better understand the world that we walk in. Uh, the parable this morning is about a woman with a real problem. And she's passionately and persistently petitioning the one who has the power to make the changes and bring her the justice she needs. Now, this message is going to be brought to you by the letter P, okay? Because alliteration is helpful. It helps us remember things, right? Uh, and so we're going to have some alliteration. But, but here's the point Jesus is driving home in our text this morning. He wants us to pray into what? It's right in the text. He wants us to pray and Never give up. Okay, I'm going to give you guys an F on that one, but we're going to do better as we go. Uh, listen, everybody has a different reaction to the topic of prayer. Everybody. For some of you guys, it's guilt. You're like, I don't, I don't pray enough. I don't do it like I used to. For some of you, it's irritation. You're like, yo, I've tried this. this is, it's not gone well for me. For some of you, it's love. Like, you just love prayer. For some of you, it's anger. Like, I've prayed for things. I've asked God for things. I had faith, and I didn't get the answer I was looking for. What I'm hoping this morning is we can give each of you a framework and some answers for how you can approach prayer in a better way. Amen? Uh, prayer is an enormous topic. It's essential for our faith. It's very simple, but there are things that keep us from prayer that are deeper and more complex than what they seem like at the surface. This is what I've come to believe. Yes, we get distracted, right? Anybody get distracted in prayer? You make it like 30 seconds in, and then like five minutes later, you're daydreaming about something. Or if you brought your phone with you, your prayer life is over, okay? If you bring your phone to go pray, you will not pray. You will find yourself on Instagram. Um, Sometimes it feels like we're getting nothing done. Do we have any doers? Like you just like to do things and it's like, what am I doing? Sometimes it can feel like you're talking to a brick wall. It's like everybody says prayer is a conversation, but it feels pretty one-sided. Anybody? Um, is it even doing anything? Yo, here, here's the reality. I believe that these are symptoms, not causes, for why we struggle with prayer. These are symptoms, but not the sole causes. Um, we're within a culture, right? And within our culture, we have narratives and we have beliefs. And the reality is that there's so much of what we believe about God and about the world that has been uncritically examined and we just kind of reflect back at our culture. And I believe that it affects our prayer life. Now, as a Western society, we do not have a collective belief in a transcendent being. All right? Right? We've seen this. This is something that's become less and less and less within our society. And what we're left with is what Charles Taylor, uh, in his book on secularism, called the imminent frame. Okay, what is the imminent frame? The imminent frame is the frame of faith, 
that, that gave us the society we're in. But when you pull God out, all you're left with is a framework. It's an empty framework. Now, uh, this is a belief that within secularism that the only thing that is real is what you can measure and observe. Have you all heard this before? Right? This is, this is what we see within our culture. Here, here's the problem. What do we do when what we can measure and observe fails us or falls in on us? When a family member falls ill, when the economy collapses, when there's natural disasters, what do we do when we don't know what to do? What do we do as a culture? We pray, right? In the ultimate irony, like a few uh, months ago when the, the football player uh, had cardiac arrest on the football field, what happened? Everybody sent up prayers or vibes or whatever, right, as a culture. But here's the issue. When we don't really believe we need transcendence, when we go to prayer, the recipient of our prayers is undefined and indistinct. We're not praying to a person. We're praying to nothingness, right? How, how many times do you go into prayer and you feel like you're praying to nothing? The reality, as a Christian faith, is that we have something deeper. We have more uh, than just a genie. We actually have a person. And, and, and the reality of our culture when it comes to prayer is that prayer is like a Hail Mary, not in the Catholic sense, but more in like the NFL Blitz 99 sense. You know what I'm saying? It's just like you're throwing a bomb and you hope somebody's on the other end of it. It's like here goes nothing. So what's the alternative when it comes to prayer? The alternative is that there is a transcendent God. There is one who transcends time and matter and space, space, who's both incredibly personal and awesomely powerful. And this God, the one who has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, says that we can come to him in prayer and he will listen and move on our behalf. Now, y'all, there, there are nuances to the act of prayer uh, that I think if we look at them, they can be really helpful. Uh, J.I. Packer in his book that I hit all the time, if you haven't gotten it yet, Concise Theology, J.I. Packer, you've got something you're, you're wondering about, he gives you like the best answer you could ever get, okay? Uh, and so here's what he says about prayer. Uh, I, th I think I've got the quote, if you can throw that up on the board here. It says, the Bible teaches and exemplifies prayer as a fourfold activity to be performed by God's people, both individually, in private, and in company with other people. Okay, first type, adoration and praise are to be expressed. The second type, contrite confession of sin is to be made and forgiveness sought. The third type, thanks for benefits received is to be offered. And the fourth type, this is what we're looking at, is petitions and supplications both for ourselves and for others. Petition in which the person praying humbly acknowledge their need and express themselves as trustfully dependent on God to meet them out of his sovereign resources of wisdom and goodness is the dimension of prayer that is most consistently highlighted in the Bible. So our text this morning, are y'all still with me? We're doing a lot of pre-work here, but we're going to get into it, I promise. Uh, the text this morning is dealing with this fourth type of prayer, which is petition. So big questions we're going to attempt to answer through this text. Number one, why should we pray? Have you ever asked that question? Why should I pray? Next, what are we praying for? And then thirdly, why do we stop praying? Okay, we're, we're going to try to answer this as we go through it. So I'm going to give you a thesis. Um, it's this. It's in prayer. We're actually joining in with God's redemptive work 
as we petition him to right the wrongs of the world through passionate, persistent pleas for justice. Amen? Uh, Y'all want a book recommendation? Why not? Uh, There's a book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller uh, that I've been going through, and it's it's just fabulous. So you should check that out. Praying Life, uh, Paul Miller. It's really good. Um, Okay. Do we have any competitive people in the room? Anybody? Yeah. Okay, I see. Some of you guys like lean forward, right? What, over here? Competitive people? Yeah, I see you. Um, I love that. We, we've just got some stone-cold killers in our church, and uh, I, I really like that. So in, in my family, uh, so I, I grew up with sisters, but you all have heard my story. I got fresh prints. I moved to Columbus, Ohio. If you don't know that story, that's what happened. You know, I got in trouble. My mom got scared. She sent me to live with my auntie and uncle in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and I, I basically lived in a frat house, okay? So all the girls had moved out. So my, my Aunt Leslie was stuck with four boys, uh, and, and we were just wild men, okay? And so we had to come up with some sort of rules of engagement for prank warfare. You know what I'm talking about? When you're around a bunch of guys, like the pranking is constant. And so we had to come up with some checks and balances because if we didn't, like there was no, there was no limit. And so we had a summit uh, we got together, we, we discussed the issues, and here's what we came to. If you prank someone, they are well within their rights to escalate up to 10x, and you cannot get mad, all right? So when you prank someone, you have to know that the other person has full rights to retaliate. Uh, most, basically none of the stories can I really tell uh, from up here, and I've been trying to think of, like, how do I frame this one? Um, my cousin, I, I was taking a nap. All right, and I get kind of moody sometimes. I don't know if anybody else gets moody. I'm, I'm like hyper extroverted until I'm not, and then I want to be left alone. I don't want to talk to anybody. All right, so I was in one of those moods, and he knew that. And so he comes up, and he's messing with me. He's trying to get me to hang out, and he smacks me while I'm asleep. All right? So I noted. All right, that's, that's prank. And so I'm like, what am I going to do to this cat? All right, so he goes. Uh, he, he does like a week away. He's out of town. And uh, I got a box, <clears throat> and I put some human excrement in the box, and I addressed it to him, and I taped it up, and I put it on his bed, and I left it there for when he got back. So he comes back. Here's what I didn't factor in. Uh, his girlfriend came back with him, and she saw the box, and she opened the poop box, <laughs> excrement box, uh, with him. And she had no idea, like, how to react. She's, like, entering into this world that she doesn't really understand, all right? Uh, she, she had no idea how to handle this, like, cosmic, to most households, like, overreactions. Like, somebody wakes you up, and you poop in a box, you leave it on their bed. It's like, yes, in our house, that is, that is legal, okay? And here's the reality. We rarely went past one step of escalation, right? So from there, if he escalates again, you know, we just, we, we usually ended at the second one. Uh, here's the reality. When we hit things that we don't know what to do with, a lot of times we look away. Uh, we, we try to do something else. This is what she did. Like, she just tried to, to crawfish out of the situation. But, but he, here's what we know is true. There are some things in life that we don't know what to do with. We don't know where to place them, Right? There's some things that happen. We don't know where to place them mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Sometimes it's funny, all right? But sometimes it's serious. Like, what do we do with the premature loss of a loved one? 
What do we do with massive shifts in societal values? What do we do with injustices in our workplace, in our world? What do we do with things that bring about pain and sorrow? What we find is that there are some things that can't be stuffed down or passed over, because if we do that, it's like a jack-in-the-box. At some point, it's going to explode, right? We have to find more productive things to do with them. Now, this causes problems for us as a society because we we don't have spaces for lament and grief. Um, It doesn't fit into uh, our ethos or our cultural vision, which is life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. And so, you know, if you look at other cultures, they have traditions, they have things that they do when they hit sorrow and they hit pain. Uh, In Jewish culture, they have something called the Kaddish. And this is something that they recite for months after they lose a loved one. And then on the anniversary of the time they lose a loved one, it's time where they bring glory to God. They bring their grief to God and they have systems for it. They have things within their society. We do not have systems for pain and grief within our Western society. The question most of us ask when we've lost a loved one is, am I going to go to work tomorrow? And the issue with that is that we end up stuffing the pain, or worse, we come up with ways to numb ourselves, to cope with the pain through distraction, either through entertainment or through work or through various vices like drugs, alcohol, pornography, because suffering does not fit into our cultural vision. We do not have space for it. We try to rush past it. But the reality is that there are some things you cannot rush past in life. We need to talk about the things that happen. We need things to do with our pain. And this passage shows us that there are other things that we can do. There are places we can take pain and sorrow and frustration. We can take them to God in prayer and not just talk to him, but we can actually petition his throne to move on our behalf. Let's look at what this passage tells us about the power of petition. Number one, petition is a prayer of passion. Petition is a prayer of passion. Luke 18, verse three. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in the dispute with my enemy. Now, here's the honest truth. Um, I find it hard to pray for things I don't really care about, right? Right? Anybody else? It's like, if you come to me and you're like, hey, we pray for my cat, my cat's sick. It's like, sure, pal, I'll pray for your cat. <laughs> you know, like we have pastors who are way more compassionate on those areas. I'm probably not the best person to come to, okay? It's difficult for me to consistently pray when I'm not emotionally connected to something, right? But when my dad was in addiction, I knew how to pray. It wasn't hard. When we found out our daughter had a complication at birth, it was not hard to pray. There was passion, there was desperation, it was not hard. Now she ended up just perfect, if you could throw that up there. You can take it down. Listen, when my cousin got sick this January, a lot of you guys went through that with us, there was passion in our prayers. It was not hard to muster. And there was pain when she passed. Jesus is painting a picture for us, a word picture, that this woman is in real need of help. It's personal. It wasn't some disconnected petition. 
She felt it, she lived it, and she needed it. And without a just decision, she was hopeless. Listen, you have places in your life, I know all of us do, that without a just decision, you feel hopeless. So she is passionately petitioning this judge. So what do we know about the widow? Let's dive into the text. Let's feel around a little bit. Let's get into the first century, okay? First, she's lost her husband, okay? That's the obvious part. That's what a widow is. Uh, but she's also likely impoverished. So she's relationally uh, impoverished. She's lost her husband. She's economically impoverished. She has limited finances. She's socially impoverished. She has low standing, and she is surrounded by death and pain. Now, how, how, how can we infer this? Um, there are laws in Hebrew legislation that deal with widows. There are specific laws for what they're supposed to do to care for them uh, and laws for inclusion. And the Lord God was clear, do not oppress widows. Oppressing widows is bad, okay? This is so clear within the Old Testament. Uh, in Exodus 22, in Deuteronomy 14, Deuteronomy 16 again, uh, he gives commandments to save up for and to cover their needs corporately. This was something that was supposed to be happening within the community. And they were also, also supposed to be included in times of celebration so they were not left alone. You know, this is a beautiful way that the Lord sets out for his people to care for the vulnerable. And yet, here we find a widow's before the judge. Now, she's most likely seeking justice because those who were supposed to be caring for her were not just not caring for her, they were likely neglecting and taking advantage of her. We aren't told what her enemy has done, but we can guess. She's most likely being exploited. Taking care of the vulnerable is not a 21st century idea, right? This is something that's been happening for a long time. Now, here's what strikes me. Christ is saying, be like this widow. He's saying, be present to your ordeal. Y'all, in order for us to come with passion in prayer, we have to be present to our problems. Um, if we want to bring our issues to God consistently, we can't stuff them or distract ourselves from them. We have to face them. Um, Personally, what are areas that I'm tempted to stuff and not deal with? One of the number one things is brokenness within our city. It, it bothers me. Like when I'm driving around, maybe you felt this, and you see people who are on the side of the road asking for help, people who are experiencing homelessness. It, it messes with me. It bothers me. And in the first two years of our church, it was something I just emotionally disconnected from because I couldn't fix the problem. But what this passage is telling us is that in these areas, we don't have to emotionally disconnect. We can petition a higher power. And the, the reality is we're going to get into this at the end. God deeply cares about the injustices of our world. And what Christ is telling us is that when we come to God, he cares. So what about you? What's your ordeal? And are you present to it? Or are you distracting yourself from it? It could be in your family. It could be in your job. It could be in your health. It could be in sin struggles. Here's what I would encourage you with. Stay actively and emotionally present to the pain that's going in your life so that you'll be willing 
to petition and take it to God in prayer. Because here's what we know. Stuffing it does not fix it. Amen? What's our ordeal? We have collective ordeals, right? Within our world. There's a collective ordeal of fatherlessness within our communities. There's a collective ordeal of identity confusion and trying to figure out who we are. There's a collective ordeal of sex trafficking all across the planet. And it is easier to disconnect ourselves if you have the means to drive into our driveways, to pull into our garages, to shut the garage, and emotionally disconnect. If we don't have the means, we find other ways, right? But here's what I want to encourage you with, and this is what I think Christ is telling us. Don't hide from the pain. Bring it to God. Bring it to him. Y'all, I have found that prayer becomes easy when I have no other option. There are some things that we cannot fix on our own. And what I want to encourage you to do is to begin bringing those things to God in prayer. So number one, petition is a prayer of passion. Number two, petition must be prayer with persistence. Everyone say persistence. Luke 18, 3. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, give me justice in the dispute with my enemy. Notice she came repeatedly. What does that mean? It means he's ignoring her, right? Like, he's not listening. She's not giving him justice, and she's like a toddler who wants anything at any time, right? For any reason. Daddy, 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 just a second. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And finally, they, they wear you down, and they break your will, and you're like, what? Like, help me, help me, Lord. Y'all, if we're honest, I wonder how many of us would say this. At some point, I had this heart for prayer. I brought things to God regularly, but I had become so disillusioned and so disheartened and so discouraged by what I've experienced and seen that I've lost the heart of the faithful persistence and desperation before God. Maybe you're disillusioned because of public failures of people in ministry. Maybe you're disheartened by the cares and worries of your life. It's just crushing in on you. Maybe you're discouraged by battles fought, but victories not yet seen. And if you're honest, it's like the fire has gone out. And you're just going, to, you're going through your life day to day with very little vision for the things of God. Very little faith for what could be. And you're just left with frustration You've been lost, or you've lost a vision for what could be, and maybe you've even lost faith. What does this produce in us? It produces cynicism, right? Does anybody wrestle with cynicism? You don't have to raise your hand. You give me a little. Maybe you hear a great story of answered prayer, and your first thought is not praise God. Your first thought is whatever. It's a coincidence. Listen. I've talked about this before, but a core fear of mine, so, so irrational, is that everybody's trying to get one over on me, all right? Uh, it's so bad that for years, when I would go to the gas pump and it asked, do you want a receipt? I always said yes. Why? Because I was afraid that maybe 
the gas company was going to like charge me more for the fuel later, and I wouldn't have a receipt to prove it. All right, it's just ludicrous. All right, the, the ways that I was afraid. This is real. Callie can attest to it. At one point, I realized I was like, this is so ridiculous. Okay, it's just insanity. Here's the problem I found in my life is that cynicism is actually the enemy of a life of faith. It'll destroy a life of faith. Being cynical feels like security because it creates distance where we can't get hurt by disappointment. We feel like it gets rid of vulnerability, but what it actually does is it gets rid of connectivity between you and what God's doing. This is not the way of God. Um, Cuban blogger, uh, Yoni Sanchez said this at 32 years old. She said, unlike our parents, we've never believed in anything. Our defining characteristic is cynicism, but it's a double-edged sword. It protects, it protects you from crushing disappointment, but it paralyzes you from doing anything. Cynicism destroys a life of prayer. Paul Miller in a praying life said this, Satan's first recorded words are cynical. He tells Adam and Eve, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Satan is suggesting that God's motives are cynical because cynicism sees what is really going on. It feels real and authentic. And that cynicism, that gives cynicism an elite status since authenticity is one of the last remaining public virtues in our culture. God invites us into a life of faith and hope and endless possibility in his renewing power. But when we live with cynicism, we're totally disconnected from a life of faith and power. Miller goes on to say this later in the chapter. He says, the feel of a praying life is cautious optimism. Caution because of the fall. That's the sin of mankind but optimism because of redemption. Cautious optimism allows Jesus to boldly send his disciples into an evil world. Lastly, we're gonna close with this. Petition is prayer reliant on the power of God. It closes, and it says, the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said, himself, said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. What a hilarious thing to say to yourself, right? But this woman's driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice. And the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. He rendered a just decision in the end. Don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. What we see with this judge, and it's repeated, he doesn't fear God or love people. A friend of mine who's brilliant made this point. He said, the judge does not have a law vertically, that flows from God or a law horizontally that flows from a love for people, but yet he still gives justice. So he doesn't have a law. Uh, morals have to come from somewhere, right? So he doesn't have a moral law that flows from above. He doesn't have a moral law that's horizontal because of his love for people, but yet he brings justice. He didn't love justice. He was actually a wicked judge, but he brought justice. Listen, God loves justice. God loves to move on our behalf. God loves to heal. God loves to renew. 
And he's called us to petition his throne and to call on his power and trust him with the results. Because in the end, our belief as gospel-believing Christians is that all that is broken will be brought to rights. All that the enemy has stolen, all that sin has ravaged will be healed and made whole in a new heavens and a new earth. You know, we are not begging God. We are joining God in prayer. I used to wrestle with that. Anybody else? It's like, why would I have to beg you <laughs> to do something? Why would I have to beg you to move on our behalf? Amos 5.24 tells us we don't. God says, do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Here's what we're doing when we petition God in prayer. We are backing our work with God's power. We are backing our action with God's power. And we're asking that he move on our behalf. So here's what I want to encourage you with, is I want you to locate some areas of your life where maybe you've disconnected emotionally. Maybe you've stopped persisting because you've gotten disillusioned or frustrated. And I want you to ask that God would move powerfully on your behalf and petition his throne and ask that he would move. So that's number one, personally. Then corporately, uh, I don't know, is Fitz still here? I know that he had an event today. Is he still here? Yeah, he had to go to an event. Uh, Fitz is our outreach director, and he's doing a lot of work with fatherless kids in our community, violence in our community. And y'all, I got so convicted. I have not led us well enough to partner with the work, with the power of God through prayer. And what I want to encourage you to do is as we talk about these issues within our community, the issues of addiction and things like that, let God trouble your heart and trouble your spirit. And let's be a praying people, a people of faith, who despite the brokenness we've seen, believe that God can bring renewal and hope and power. Amen? So how do we grow? Wrap it up. We pray for the causes of our church. We connect emotionally with the issues of our day. Let it bother you. When you read stuff in the news, let it bother you. Don't just flip to the next app. When you see brokenness in our world, let it bother you. Let it trouble you and pray. God, this is not right. Listen, a lot of times, here's what I've seen happen over the past couple of years. Oh, I gotta be careful. We've, we've, we've spewed our anger with the world. But my question is, have we prayed for the world? So when you see this stuff happening, when you see this stuff, join with God in prayer. I want to close um, with just some specific prayer together. Here's what I know. Some of you guys have stuff going on in your families. Um, you have stuff going on with your kids. Um, I, I want to cover the causes of the church. Uh, believe that God can reach the lost in our culture, right? Um, that's the number one thing that our culture needs. Amen? So many issues within our society are actually, at the core, they're sin issues. Um, 
And so the hope is that they would know Christ who loves them and delivers us from sin. Amen. Let's just take a moment and let's, let's have some reflective prayer. Worship team, if you could just hold off for a second. Um, I want to lead you through some just contemplative prayer here. Come Holy Spirit. Ignite a passion in us. God, right now we pray for lost children. God, you know the moms and the dads, you know the names. God, we pray that you would move. God, that you would call out to them and God, that you'd give them ears to hear and eyes to see your goodness and your glory. God, we're gonna beat down your door for them. God, I pray for marriages right now that are just struggling. God, you are the redeemer, you are the healer. God, come into our homes. We open wide the doors. We ask that you would bring healing and hope and peace. And God, we pray for our city. God, we pray for all those kids who don't have dads. They don't have mentors and father figures. God, I pray that you would raise up a generation of fathers, spiritual fathers, who will join arms, who will walk, who will teach. God, let us be a church that brings hope and that brings healing to these areas. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review, things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.